Well, welcome to Lakeshore. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Uh, Smyrna Campus, we welcome you. We're so glad you're with us. Anyone that's joining us online, we're so glad you've connected with us today on this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we are in a series of messages. We're going straight through the book of James, which I believe is a blueprint for making faith work, the life of faith work the way it's supposed to work. Such practical teaching all the way through the book of James. We started out talking about how to stay calm under pressure. As James was teaching us, we all face pressures in life, and, and we need to learn with God's presence and provision to be able to stay calm and steady even as we face the pressures. And we talked the last week, Mike shared with us about resisting temptation, how we're all going to face temptation. Jesus himself was tempted. Uh, the temptation is not the sin. It's when you give in to it and participate in those sinful activities. But God gives us uh, tools to use to resist temptation and have victory over those temptations. And today, we're going to talk about something that I'm sure... Uh, a lot of you can relate to. You may not think it relates to you personally, but you know somebody that this relates to. Today we're talking about controlling your temper. How God can help us learn to control our temper. I was reminded of a man who went to the doctor. He was worried about his wife's temper. And he said to the doctor, uh, I don't know what to do. Every day my wife seems to lose her temper for no reason, and, and it's so intense, sometimes it scares me. The doctor said, well, I've got a cure for that. Every time your wife seems to be getting angry, just take a drink of water, a glass of water, uh, fill your mouth, and just swish the water around in your mouth. Just keep swishing and keep swishing until she either calms down or leaves the room. Do that every time she gets angry. A couple of weeks pass by. The guy goes back to his doctor and says, it's amazing. I feel like a new man. My, my wife's anger has gotten so much better. Every time she would get angry, I'd put water in my mouth and I'd swish it and swish it and swish it until she calmed down. And, and it just got better and better all the time. What, what is it about the water that makes that happen? He said, oh, the water has nothing to do with it. It's keeping your mouth shut that helped out a lot. <laughs> A lot of truth to that, right? Sometimes we ag it on, don't we? we? We make it worse because we keep talking about it and we accelerate the volume of the discussions that we're having. It reminds me of an elderly couple that was talking one evening and uh, the, the guy says to his wife, Honey, I'm so sorry that I let my anger out on you so often. How do you manage to stay so, stay so calm with all of my foul moods and my anger that I express to you? She said, well, when you can do that, I always go and clean the toilet. He said, how does that help? She said, I always use your toothbrush. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't want that to be stuck in your head. Let's move on. We're in James chapter 1, still in chapter 1, still such great practical teaching. We're going to pick up with verse 19 of James chapter 1, where James introduces this idea of how important it is for us as Christ followers to learn to control our anger so that we can maintain the witness that God wants us to have representing Jesus Christ in the world. And the first thing he shares with us is a word of caution about why this is so important. Why this is such a big deal for Christ followers to learn 
to control their anger. Let's pick up with verse 19. He said, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Wow. One quick, two slows. One quick, two slows. He says, we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. He's saying that that this is a cautionary statement that will change our lives. If we can learn just to do those three things. One, to be quick to do. Two, to be slow to do. It will change our interaction with people. It will change our relationships. It will change our witness for Christ for the better. Everything will improve if we can learn to do these things. The first example in Scripture of anger out of control is Cain and Abel, a brother who kills his brother. Anger out of control. I've never seen a time in my lifetime in this country where anger was at such a high level all the time. And I was alive, still a very young child, in the late 60s with all the turmoil that was going on then. And even then I didn't see as much anger overall as I see in our culture today. I mean in every sphere of life, in every, in every place, in every, uh, you can't get away from it. I think social media has fueled it a lot. I think news media has fueled it a lot. Uh, I, I think that it stays stirred up more today because it's in front of us all the time. All the stuff that gets us angry is so much in front of us all the time. Visually and, and audibly, it's there all the time. And man, it can keep you feeling angry all the time if you allow yourself to get caught up in it too much. So I think there's a greater need than ever for us to learn to control that anger because it's so much in front of us all the time. It's so easy for us to cross that line and in anger do something we shouldn't do, say something we shouldn't say. In Ephesians 4, verse 26, it says this, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. So does he say you're going to get angry sometimes? Absolutely. We're all going to feel the emotion of anger sometimes. But the warning is, when you feel that, you've got to be careful because that's a critical point where it could cause you to sin if you don't handle it the right way. He's not saying you should never get angry. There's stuff we ought to be angry about, injustice and and, and things like that. that. That should make us angry, but... How do you respond to that emotion of anger that you're feeling? He says, well, make sure it doesn't cause you to sin. That's the key for Christ followers. When you're feeling angry, make sure it doesn't cause you to sin. And then he adds this, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Man, that's a tough one. This past weekend, my wife and I celebrated 43 years of marriage. You need to be applauding for her because that's a, what a testament to her ability to control her anger, right? I'll give you an example. For our 43rd anniversary, the romantic that I am, I took her with me while I taught a leadership conference at another church. That's how we celebrated our anniversary. 
Now, after that, I did take her over to the beach in St. Augustine, her favorite place. So I, I did work in something good there. But I did check in with her ahead of time to say, honey, they asked me to come. It's over our anniversary weekend. They want me to come lead this conference. Are you okay with that? You see, I didn't get through 43 years without learning to do that. You know, to check in with her ahead of time for our 43rd anniversary. But she has done an amazing job of controlling her anger. Uh, I say this, I've joked about it before. Uh, we really decided when we got married, we would not ever go to sleep, go to bed, and go to sleep angry. We will resolve it before we go to sleep. And that has worked well for us. Though for a few times along the way there, we went two weeks without sleep. But other than that, <laughs> other than that, it's worked really well. Ecclesiastes in uh, chapter 7, verse 9, it says this, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Provoked in your spirit, that's a nice way of saying getting all riled up about something, right? Getting all mad about something. So that it just overtakes you and controls your, your being, your spirit, your presence with people. How many of you really enjoy being around angry people a lot? Nobody really enjoys that. That's not pleasant to be around at all. You don't want to be married to somebody that's angry all the time. You, you're not going to hang out with a friend that's just mad all the time. You're going to find reasons not to be with them if they're just angry all the time. And so he's saying be careful. Don't be quickly provoked in your spirit. You know, some people have... It's like their fuse is already just about lit, no matter what. They're just right at the edge all the time, and any little thing will set them off. It's like you feel like you have to walk on eggshells around them. You know the people I'm talking about. Don't punch anybody next to you while I talk about this. You know what I'm talking about. You're so afraid to misstep because you know it's just any little thing can set them off. That's not the Spirit of Christ. And that's not the presence he wants us to have around people that we're trying to be a witness to. That, that angry spirit does not reflect Jesus very well. It really doesn't. And I know there are things to be angry about. I, I'm not denying that. God's word is not denying that. But we've got to learn to bring it under the control of the spirit of God. Now, uh, psychologists have told us uh, there's different ways they break it down, but I, I was reading one this week. It said there were five levels of anger. The way they rate these levels of anger go like this. The first one is irritation. I mean, there's just stuff that irritates you, right? Traffic and stuff like that. It, it's irritating. Having to wait uh, in a long line at the store, man, that's irritating. You know, things just sometimes are just irritate you. The problem with irritation is if you just stay irritated very long, it's easy for that to jump to the next level, right? Uh, an initial irritation is not so bad, but then it can lead to indignation. Indignation was defined as where you feel like you've been wronged. You feel like you've been treated unfairly. And people love to play on that to get you to do something they want you. They can manipulate you with indignation. If they can get you to feel like you've been cheated or wronged or you didn't get something somebody else got and it's not fair, boy, they can work you up with that and get you to 
say and do things that aren't good for you. For example, a lot of people go deeper into debt because they feel like it's been unfair that they don't have what that other person got, right? So you'll go out and finance your future just so you can have it, even if it's not a healthy choice financially for you and your family. Indignation can cause you to do some really bad things. And then from indignation, it can lead to what he labeled as wrath. Wrath is where you feel so indignant that you want to take some action that is hurtful. You feel so wrong that you want to get back. You don't, it's not just that you want what's fair for you. You now want to hurt the other person because of what's happened, what they've done, how you've been treated. You want other people to suffer because of the wrong you feel has come to you. And then wrath can lead to fury where you not only want to hurt them, but you are willing to take the action regardless of consequences. You know it might hurt other innocent people. You know it might cause problems for others who don't deserve that treatment. But you're so mad and angry, you're willing to go ahead and do it anyway. And that leads to the final one, which is rage. And with rage, you feel no remorse whatsoever. This is where people can kill and not even feel bad about it. They can destroy somebody and never even feel bad about it. You see how anger out of control can build and grow and cause us to commit terrible sin. The, the worst atrocities in the world had at their root a lot of times anger over something. And so we've got to understand the warning that he's giving us here is so vitally important. And then he breaks down for us some consequences of allowing anger to be out of control. So number two on your outline is this. One of those consequences is it can dull our hearing. Dull our hearing. Let's read verses, begin with verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but, does not, but who does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. There's a key to this whole overcoming anger thing. And it's not, I'm not saying this is easy, but it's really not as complicated as we try to make it. The key to overcoming anger begins with having humility. Having humility. You see, human anger, where we're just controlled by the flesh, can never, ever produce the righteousness that God wants. And human anger, most often, is fuel, fueled by our pride. It really is. I shouldn't have to be stuck in this traffic, right? Right? I shouldn't have to wait in this line. 
I shouldn't have to be paid less than that person. I shouldn't have to live in a house that's not as nice as that person's house. It's fueled by our pride. We think we deserve better than what our life is giving us. And it makes us angry. And, and he's saying here that the key to that, getting rid of the, the bad stuff that it produces, is to humbly, I love that word, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. He's saying you've got a tool that can save you from being controlled by your anger. God's given you what you need. To, to be able to manage your anger properly and channel it properly and not allow it to cause you to sin. And what is that tool? It's His Word being planted in you. Now that word planted means it's deep down in there. But not everything that's planted is allowed to grow and produce the fruit, right? So what we have to do is take the Word that First of all, we've got to get it planted in there. So you, you attend church services where the Word's being taught and you get involved in a Bible study group and you do your daily devotions. You spend time in God's Word, which plants God's message inside you. But then here's how it grows when you actually do it. It's one thing to put it in here. It's another thing to allow it to produce its fruit because you are obeying it. You are doing what it says to do. Being quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry is fueled by humility where you're willing to listen to God's word, really listen to God's word, in such a way not just you hear it and not even so you can just quote it, but so that it begins to be lived out in your everyday life. He's saying, don't deceive yourselves. There are a lot of people who listen to God's word all the time who, who aren't walking in the will of God. There are many people who can quote God's word from memory who aren't walking in the will of God in their lives. You see, you're just deceiving yourself if it's just hearing it and knowing it. It's actually doing what it says that makes the difference. And here's the reason it's so important. When you're quick to become angry, you're very slow to listen. You see, it works the other way, too. When you're quickly angered, you're not really able to listen. Have you ever seen two people really in the heat of an argument really listening to each other? No, they're not listening to each other. They're trying to think of the best comeback they can give. They're trying to think of the thing they can say next that will just pierce their soul because you're so mad at them. That's what you're trying to do. You're not listening to anybody when you're controlled by anger like that. You're not. So he's saying, make sure you're willing to humble yourself. And he, he uses this illustration, I really like it, like a man who looks in the mirror, you see what you look like, and you walk away and immediately forget what you just saw. Uh, I like to eat salads, and sometimes we have kale salad and spinach salad and stuff like that. And when you have salads like that, it gets stuck in your teeth a lot, right? 
And so Sue Ann and I have, she, she had this happen one time, and so she bought a little mirror that she keeps in her purse. So after we, if we've been out somewhere eating and we have a salad, she will get that mirror out and, and look at her teeth. Now, it wouldn't do any good if she just looked at it and put it back in the purse and said, yep, there's spinach there, and just went right on, right? You smile, and it looks like you're missing every other teeth or so, every other tooth or so, you know? Yeah. You see, a mirror is only valuable if you take the information you get from it and use it for improvement, to fix what needs to be fixed. And God's Word is that way for us. If we really look intently into God's Word, we're going to see our sin, our shortcomings, our flaws. And God doesn't want that to be just something that you say, okay, I see all those things, fine. And we use excuses like, but I'm only human. Isn't that what we say? What do you expect? I'm only human. Yes, you are. Created in the image of God. You've said you want to be a disciple of Jesus, to grow up to be like Jesus. So even though you're only human, the goal should not be just to accept those bad things. It should be to learn and improve and grow up to be more like Jesus. And being controlled by anger is nothing like Jesus. Being ruled by your anger is nothing like Jesus. So we don't need to be like the man who looks in the mirror and forgets what you just saw. When we look into the mirror of God's Word, our flaws are revealed. And uh, for some of us, we just say, well, that's too bad. I'm going to get dimmer light bulbs to put in there around the mirror, right? I'm just not going to look. I'm just not going to really deal with it. I'm just going to walk away and forget about it. But God's intent is for us to have it revealed so that we can deal with it properly. John 8, verse 31 and 32, Jesus said this. To the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free. So here he's saying, the way you show that you're really my disciple is that you hold to my teaching. That phrase means not just that you know what Jesus taught, not just you memorize what Jesus taught. To hold to his teaching means you live like that. That's how you know you're really a disciple. When you really hold to the teachings as a daily walk of life. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about progress. We're talking about being honest about the flaws and doing what we can with God's help to make those changes that need to be made that God's Word has revealed to us. Have you ever audited a class in school? I audited a college course one time. Uh, I just wanted the information. I just wanted to hear. I didn't know for sure where they were going with the subject, and I wanted to go in and listen. I wasn't trying to get you know, another degree or anything. I just wanted to get the information. So when you audit a class, here's the thing. They don't care if you show up or not. They got your money. You don't have to take any test. Auditing means you don't have to take the test. In fact, you have absolutely no responsibilities when you audit the class. And that's the way a lot of Christians deal with God's Word. We audit the class. We show up when we want to. We miss when we want to. We act like there's not going to be a test. And we act like we've got no responsibility to really live it out and do anything with it. We audit the teaching of God's Word. But we feel good because we went to class sometimes. 
We act like we've got it covered because we heard what he was saying. But when you don't take responsibility for what you hear, you're just auditing the class. And you can never expect to get this anger thing under control if you're just going to audit the class on anger. You have to actually apply the teaching. Not just with anger, but with everything in your life. You have to apply the teaching to your life. Live it out consistently for it to have the benefit and the blessing that God wants you to have from it. Another consequence of anger is it can inflame our tongues. Anger inflames our tongues. We're going to deal with this more in a few weeks in another uh, section where he talks about this even more. But remember he said be slow to speak. Why? Because anger can cause you to speak in a way that is hurtful and harmful to you, to your witness, and to the people that hear what you're saying. It's dangerous. Look what he says in verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is what? It's worthless. By the way, notice he uses the word religion for Christianity, for Christ followers here. That's who's talking to us here. He's telling us here as Christ followers that our religion is worthless. People who say Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. No, you're wrong. It is a religion centered in a relationship. You see, a religion is a body of teaching that you adhere to. And Jesus is all about being in a relationship with him so that we honor and revere his teachings and we follow those teachings. That's what Christianity is. It's not just me and Jesus are good buddies so everything's cool because we got a good relationship. No, it's a body of teaching that he gave us that he wants us to grow up to follow. Now the reason he wants us to follow it is because he knows that teaching will bless us. And not following that teaching will hurt us. That's why we have the relationship with Jesus, because we know that's how he feels about us. He loves us enough to tell us the truth about things, to teach us the right way and the wrong way to do things. We love him because of that. That's why we have that relationship with him. But it's a relationship that leads to adherence to his teachings, the religion of Christianity. That's what he's calling us to. Don't ever separate those two things and just say it's just about the relationship. No, it's not. It's about being a student of his teachings. A disciple who follows after the teacher. That's what Christianity is. And so he's saying, you need to understand that if you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, then your religion is worthless. You see, it's possible to be right and not be righteous about it. You can know the right answer. You can know the truth about what Jesus says and not be righteous about how you talk to people, how you treat people, how you interact with people. Because you're so angry. You're not interacting with them in the way that is righteous, that is right before God. A husband or a wife or a friend or a stranger or a co-worker, we fly off the handle, we get angry, we have this rant we put on Facebook, and we act like we won a contest here because we out-argued the other person. You could be right and not righteous at the same time. He wants us to bring our anger under such control that we're not only right, but we're righteous about how we share the truth with others. Proverbs 29, 11 says, Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. 
<laughs> the wise bring what in the end? Calm. Most of our rants don't bring calm, do they? They stir up more dissension, more arguing, more conflict. He says, learn to express the truth in such a right way that the result of what you share brings calmness to the situation. It doesn't mean even that you won the argument and convinced them of the right way, but you brought calmness in the discussion by the way you handled yourself in that discussion. You see, when anger is under control, it can produce calmness, not dissension and more anger and more conflict. Someone said this, that when you get angry, you should count to ten before you speak. And then they added, that gives you time to think of a better comeback. <laughs> That's not the case if you're a Christ follower. It is good to count to ten before you speak so that you can calm down enough so that what you then say helps bring calm to the discussion, not more conflict and anger. The way you say it. See, you can say the same thing different ways. One will bring calm and one will bring more conflict. Learn to bring it under the control of the Spirit of God. You see, in anger, we will often say hurtful things that we would never normally say. In anger, we will do hurtful things that we would never normally do. And it causes great harm to the people around us. So it's vitally important for us to learn to bring our anger under the control of the Spirit of God. A, fourth reason, uh, a third reason is this, uh, number four in your outline. It distracts, anger can distract us from God's will. It can distract us from doing God's will. Remember verse 21, he said, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. In verse 27, listen to what he says. Religion that God our Father accepts, remember this is a religion, it's a body of teaching that we're supposed to follow, okay? Religion that, our God, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It's their responsibility in this relationship we have with Jesus, that's what he's saying, there is a responsibility if you're going to have a relationship with Jesus that you live out the religion of Jesus. And the religion of Jesus, the religion he considers the, the highest, the purest, the best, is looking after orphans and widows in their distress and keep yourself from being polluted by the world. Does he say your job is to keep everybody else from being polluted by the world? No. Who are you supposed to keep from being polluted by the world? Yourself. Now, if you are that witness and that example and you have your anger, anger under control, you can influence a whole lot of other people better than you can with your anger because they're polluted by the world. Wow, that's hard. That's a tough one. And that's why we have to understand we can't do this on our own. It requires God's help. I love what he says about looking after orphans and widows in their distress. And in that culture, especially, those were big problems because there were no programs. There was no government agencies or support or programs for orphans or widows and no way for them to be taken care of. The church was known for taking that on. The early church, they took that on as their responsibility. Families in that culture, because sometimes they, 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 they had no other option in their mind. It wasn't ever right to do it. But when they had a child that was born with a defect or something like that, you know what they 
they would often do? Take them out in the, in the remote areas and just leave them out there to die. Early church historians tell us that the church in that time got to be known for doing something that was amazing. They would go out and find those children and take them in and raise them themselves. You think people are more open to your religion when you're doing stuff like that? Absolutely. When you're taking care of real critical needs like that, people are much more open to hearing what you have to say about this Jesus that you're following. A lot more so than when you're ranting and raving on Facebook or holding up protest signs at the parade. When they see us doing the work of Jesus, that impacts them a lot more than any of the angry comments that we make in response to the sin of their lives. We need to do a better job with that. Think about this for a moment. I heard this statistic. I thought it was pretty impressive. There are about 2 million churches in America. And right now, there are about 500,000 kids in foster care. Half a million. What if just one out of every two churches took in one foster child, there would be no more foster children? Just one family in, in every two churches take in one of those kids. There would be no more children in the foster care system in America today. It's easy to talk about how angry we are about how bad stuff is out there. It's another thing to actually take the action that would show the love of Jesus, that would show true religion, show people what true religion is really like. And we've got families here that are doing that, and I'm so thankful for those families, but it's amazing. And I'm not just saying that's the only thing. There's so many other things out there we can do. It doesn't have to be taking in a foster child. There's so many other things we can do that fit into that category of taking care of the orphans and the widows. It's taking care of the real needs of our culture today. If the church became known for that again, think of the impact we could have on our culture. Think of how many more people would be willing to listen to the message of Jesus Christ when they saw us loving like that. That's true religion. Verse, and Romans 12, verse 21, it says this, do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. Instead of getting all angry about the evil, what are we supposed to be doing? Overcoming the evil with what? With rants on Facebook? Is that how we're going to do it? How are we going to do it? By actually doing good stuff in the name of Jesus that God has called us to do. That's how we're going to make the difference. That's how we're going to impact the world. I, uh, I, I'm an aggressive driver sometimes. I, I tend to... Uh, the GPS system, I, I think of that as a video game. Here, here's the way I play it. The GPS says this trip will take one hour and 30 minutes, so what's my goal? I've got to beat one hour and 30 minutes, right? That's my goal. It's a game now. It's a competition. So I am, uh, on our last trip, you know, I asked Sue Ann, what does it say arrival time is? I said, I could beat that. You know, so, so I'm trying to beat. And, and here's what would happen sometimes. You, you get in traffic or whatever, and I get frustrated because I can't win the game that way if I'm going to be stuck in traffic, right? It's going to slow me down. And on the GPS, on the car, it would actually show me if I lose a minute or two, right? And it would show me if I gain a minute or two. So that makes me more uh, competitive. 
competitive there, right? I don't want to lose any minutes. I always want to gain minutes. And, and so I'm going out, and sometimes I'll pull out. I'm trying to get around some slow cars, and there's a slow car. But you know what really gets me is when a big truck, a semi-truck, comes flying up behind me and gets right on my bumper. And I know there's somebody in front of me slowing me down, but they can't see it. Uh, they can only see me holding them up. And they get right on my bumper. And you know what I want to do when they do that? Kind of tap the brakes a little bit. Right? Because I'm in the flesh. Right? I, that's my first inclination. I'll show that guy he can't bully me. Now, I'm bullying the guy in front of me. But I'm going to show that big truck back there that he can't bully me. So I'm going to hit the brake a little bit and make them have to hit their brakes. Right? You know what that is? Stupid. That's just stupid. He's driving a truck that could crush our little car if I hit the brakes too hard and they run up on me. That's just stupid. That's just letting the flesh overtake the spirit. John Wesley, many of you know that name, was a great leader in the church uh, many years ago. And he had, was known to have a temper and a sarcastic tongue. And one day he met an antagonist on a one-lane bridge coming the other way, and they met in the middle. And they both sat there and waited for the other one to back up and let them go past. And finally the other guy yelled out, I never back up for idiots. And Wesley answered back, that's okay, I always do. And he backed up his vehicle and let the other guy pass. In Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, we have listed the fruit of the Spirit. See if anger relates to any of these. Listen to it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. You see, if your anger is out of control, you're walking by the flesh not by the Spirit. Churches are always saying there, are you, uh, sometimes we'll get a call, somebody will ask, are you a Spirit-filled church? And I know what they mean. Are you speaking in tongues and jumping the rows and rolling down the aisle? Are you doing that stuff, right? That's what some of them mean by Spirit-filled church. You know what a Spirit-filled church represents? You know what their culture is? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that's a spirit-filled church and that's what we need to be in this angry culture that we have around us today we need to work hard at walking by the spirit and not by the flesh anymore god wants us to mature and come under the control of the spirit and the teaching of his word it requires humility a willingness to submit to his authority. If there's somebody here today that's ready to submit to God's authority over you, and you can come today repenting of sin, you can profess your faith in Jesus, we will baptize you into Christ. And God promises when you get baptized into Christ, he's going to give you two things, the forgiveness of your sins, but the other thing he's going to give you is his spirit as a gift to come and dwell you and empower you to live the way Jesus set the example of how we're supposed to live. Let's pray together. Father, Father, we are so grateful that you have been so willing to set such a great example for us. If anyone had reason to be angry and to lash out, it was Jesus. 
the way he was treated, the way we treated him even today in our sin. And yet, instead of lashing out and destroying us, he gave himself up for us. Father, thank you for his love and his patience, for his willingness to bring his temper and anger under the control of his love so that he would pay that price. Father, I just pray that if there's anyone here who needs to come under your authority and the leading of your spirit, that today they would take that step to come to you. And I know you've promised to gladly receive them and celebrate their coming. Father, thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.